This audio recording is the second session of Restoration Road's 2016 Men's Retreat at Cedar Springs Camp in Lake Stevens, Washington. The title is The Battle is Spiritual and Internal. The speaker is Brian Dixon. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. All right, so I am uh, privileged with sharing this next session. Uh, This next session being uh, The Battle is Spiritual and Internal. And so we heard last night just how prevalent sexual sin is within the church, obviously within our world, but more so just the impact that that has uh, in the lives of each other, of our families, of our, our brothers in Christ, the damage that we see, it takes place within the family and within our, our brotherhood when it is fully indulged in. We saw that, and Eric, thank you so much for sharing your story, for being brave enough to come and share that. That uh, was a huge impact for all of us, and we need to hear that. We need to hear how it has impacted a brother and how a brother is able to say, I need Jesus, and I'm going to walk in the light, and it's not perfect, and it hasn't been uh, clean, but it is what I'm doing, and I'm now in the light. And thank you, Jesus, because we need to hear that, like the story we heard of the guy riding the dragon. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I've been on the dragon. I've been on the dragon, and I've, and I've destroyed cities as well. And so, this morning, uh, for this session, we will talk about how we take the battle with sexual sin deeper into our hearts, because the truth is, as much as we want to believe, and as much as we're being told by the world, it is a battle of the flesh, it is not. We know in Ephesians 6, it teaches that this is a spiritual battle. We are in a battle that is with forces we cannot see, but are very real. And they manifest themselves in physical ways. And so we're going to look at the core of this um, going to our hearts, because that's really where the battle is taking place. The battle is for our heart. And where and who our heart swears its allegiance to. All right, that, that's, where it's, that's where it's happening. And so we're going to take a look at that uh, this morning. Just a, a little side note. Um, I've, I've also been in ministry for 10 years, not as like a lead pastor thing, but uh, been in youth ministry, uh, worship ministry, and now a pastor at our church as well. Um, and so for 10 years, I have been uh, ministering with guys uh, that have and have had this issue, myself included. Um, but the one thing I've always noticed, the approach that guys have when they come to this, it's like, all right, here's my list of do's and don'ts. Here, here's the behavior modification that I'm going to apply to this. I, I won't do this. Uh, I won't look at that. I'll safeguard this. I'll start doing these things. And that's great. But I always ask, what's your, what's your goal ultimately in this? Now that you've brought it up, like, what's the goal for you? And no joke, what I've heard more often than not, and this is, this is not the first time or, or the only time I've heard this statement, but I've, uh, I've had guys say this to me. My goal in this is that I could be in a room full of porn and not be tempted. And I'm like, okay, well, there's, there's two, two, yeah, good luck. There's two, major, <laughs> there's two major problems with that one. First and foremost, your heart hasn't changed. Your focus is still on you. 
And how do I know that? Because you're still in a room full of porn. Yeah. All right? And so the Lord wants to change our heart. He wants to captivate our heart. He wants to um, show us and lavish his grace on us in such a way that our hearts be so repulsed by the darkness that we don't find ourselves in a room full of porn. And so, um, here's a quick question to kind of go along with this idea. When is a thief no longer a thief? When he quits stealing. When he quits stealing. Okay, that's, that is actually wrong biblically. That, that, is what, that is what the world... <laughs> yes. When his what changes? His heart changes. When his motivation changes. Okay, there's this really cool passage in Ephesians chapter 4. In that chapter, there's this idea of putting off of sin and putting on of God's righteousness. All right? But what it teaches in that is not so much that we just then take this on, but that we end up changing. And that is what takes a man from being a sinful, broken person to a godly man. Is his motive changes. Listen to this verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So when is a thief no longer a thief? It's when he, he works to contribute to the needs of others. Or in other words, his heart has been so changed by God that he no longer steals for his own needs, but he works hard and honestly, so that he can help provide for the needs of others. And I just wanted to share that and to show that, like, that this, again, is a battle that's internal, it's in the heart, where the world will look and say, okay, we stopped stealing, he's good to go. Let him go, he's not a thief anymore. What the word teaches us and what the truth is, and until the heart has changed, you're still a thief. Until your heart has changed, you're still addicted to lust. And porn. And that is what God is after. <clears throat> so, how does this kind of change happen then for the Christian? How does someone go from being steeped in sin, in sexual sin, and find freedom? How does that happen for somebody? How do they get out of that powerful grip? Talk to me, brother. All right, I'm bringing it. Here it comes. Here, go. I, here it comes. Jesus. <laughs> I could have just done that, but anyways. Uh, no, I just, I'm, I'm hoping in the next little bit as I share, as we open up God's word and I share some stuff, that it does encourage you guys to see that we can fight this and that we can be free from it. I think so often the thought is like, there's no way. It's too powerful. But we're going to see that that's not true. All right, we're going to see that God is greater than so first off, uh, this is something I want to highlight, is the cause, again, of sexual sin is not external, but internal. And the reason why that's important for us to, for me, why I'm hashing on this is because we are in an uphill battle with the way our world, our sinful, broken world, deals with this issue. All right, so I'm going to share just, these are some of the popular worldviews around sexual sin, around uh, habitual, uh, addictive behavior. This is what's taught. Uh, it's, it's, it's a character flaw. It's a human weakness. 
It's a, it's a brokenness. That, that this is something just a little askew within, uh, within a person. It's a, it's a mental illness. There's just something going on in the mind that's just that's not quite right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a brain disease. Or it's a result of a ge- genetic predisposition, either instinctive or cultivated. It was already there, um, or it was brought out by mom, dad, family, or an outside circumstance. Or it's just simply, it's, it's the way the culture is. Everybody's doing it. It's the trend we see in our culture. Quick time out. If you guys have your phones, just take them out and turn them off. Let's just do that right now. Everybody get your phone out. Let's just do it. I know that everybody, well, we're just going to just click it off real quick, and then we're back. All right. <laughs> I do that at youth group every now and then. Sorry. <clears throat> like, it's distracting. Um, but again, all of this um, are these outside uh, uh, things that are happening that happen to us. Okay, we live in a culture where it's not my fault. It's not my fault. We blame everything else. It's the gun, not the shooter. All right, it's the school and its educational program and its teachers. It's not the student who doesn't study or do anything to actually get a good grade. And this is, this is something that guys say often, actually. It's my wife's fault I look at porn, not mine. If she would give me more sex, I wouldn't go and look at porn. That, that's said. And that's said actually often. It's not my fault. It's my wife's fault. Again, notice how all these pointing out. It's, it's an outside circumstance. It's someone or something else to blame for the primary cause of sin. But Colossians chapter 3, it, it, it identifies sexual sin. It, it defines it in this way. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and it says this. I'm going to turn there. Actually, why don't you guys get your Bibles. We'll turn there together. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, where? In you. What's earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So it's important for us to understand this this issue of sexual sin is the issue of the heart, and the, the Bible defines it as idolatry. And as it defines that, one of the things we learn about this is that this uh, battle with this sin uh, is really a worship disorder. It's misplaced worship. It's not going to the real thing, but substituting it for cheap and broken to get some kind of satisfaction right here, right now. It's having the here and now mentality versus the eternal one that God has given us through his word. We could say that idolatry is spiritual infidelity for a Christian, cheating on God. And for the Christian, we have to be pretty real about that. Like, I, I proclaim Christ, he's my king, I love Jesus, but I go everywhere else 
anywhere else I could go to find satisfaction other than Jesus, other than God, other than his word. So we're going to take a look. Uh, Guys, open up to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30. Now, here's the thing. What, what does all this mean? As we're going through this, okay, like I, I have a worship disorder. I'm idolatrous. What does this mean? Or better yet, what does it actually look like? How does this play out? And one, one of the things I want to show you is um, when the worship disorder, what are the symptoms? Any kind of disease we have, anytime we try to, like, we know what it is by the symptoms, right? And so we look, okay, I have this symptom, I have that symptom, I probably have this. It's all pointing there. Well, in the same kind of fashion, I want to just say, like, as a worship disorder, there are symptoms. There are things you can look for, and you can see that identify to the fact that, guess what? I am living in idolatry. I'm living in habitual sin. And, uh, This passage in Isaiah 30 is going to help guide that. And so Isaiah chapter 30, starting in verse 9. Real quick, though, there's been a lot of plugs, but I want to plug this. The Way of Purity, this book here, it's really a devotional. Guys, it is amazing. It really is. Even if it's not like, okay, this is not the issue I have that, you know, I don't struggle with porn, I don't struggle with all that kind of stuff. This is just a good devotional. Jesus said that uh, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. So just pursuing purity, this is amazing. And, and honestly, I'm leaning heavily on this going through this next section, in all honesty, because I want you guys to see like it is powerful and that there's material out there that you guys can have that is super helpful. That's where the dragon story came from. Yeah. Here you go. Bam. Bam. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> All right, back to our text. Isaiah 30, verse 9. We'll start there. And uh, what we're going to see here is how, our, how we respond to what happens to people who are in sin, uh, sexual sin, how they respond, what the worship disorder looks like. But then also we're going to see how God responds. But verse 9, for they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us with smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear not, uh, no more from the Holy One of Israel. There's four things we see here okay, that, that relate to someone who is caught in Habitual sexual sin. There's four things we see here. First, rebellion. They're rebellious people. They're deceitful. They're lying. They are unwilling to listen to godly instruction. And they do not wish to be confronted about their sin. In just a moment of... of just transparency and honesty, I want you guys just to think, where have you been or where are you at right now in relation to these? Rebellious? Are you deceitful? Are you unwilling to listen? Are you not wanting to be confronted? If so, 
I think it's a good uh, heart check to maybe you have a worship disorder right now. Let's continue. Verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them. Let that sit for a minute. And rely on them. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take from uh, fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of a cistern. Now, I really want you guys to hear this warning from Scripture that the wall we built around sexual sin is a wall that will fall down. It's not a sturdy wall. And why is that? Because that wall is built in isolation. It's built in isolation. We do this alone. And it affects our brothers because now it's like, I don't want to be around godly guys who might bring this up. I'm just going to kind of avoid some of those conversations. We're now short with our wife and our kids because of the shame that we're carrying. It starts affecting our family, but soon enough, the more that we dive into it and the more that we get into it, the Bible's clear, it's a weak wall and it's going to come down. Here's the thing, when we're in isolation, uh, Ephesians talks about the, the devil being like a lion and he's seeking to destroy and to kill and to steal. And I don't know, I've shared this before, but I don't know if you've ever seen how lions hunt. And a lot of times I, just, I always thought they just bum rush a herd and then whatever they can get, they get. But no, what they actually do is they stand outside of a herd and they spook the herd by, by roaring loudly until one of them gets so scared it leaves and then they take that one down. Because the truth is they can't just run in because they can't overpower the herd. They need to isolate one. That is what the devil is looking for, and that is when he pounces, and he seeks to destroy your relationships, to kill your relationship with the Lord, and to steal all joy that you have. And sexual sin, and being trapped in it, in its, in its clutches, I mean, we all know, we've all been there, that is not, not how it feels. The joy gets sucked out of life. Everyone becomes an enemy, especially God. Eli, is, uh, we were talking about, Herzer and I were just talking about this, and he's going to talk about it a lot later, but just this idea, we, get, we, get, we take a misstep and you get caught in the, in the snare of sin. Often when we do that, we, are, are in, we don't realize, or what we do is we, we blame God for that snare, as if he had put it there. But it's the devil. It is as our world, it's our sinful flesh that is attracted to these the bait, if you will. <clears throat> and it's not God who does that to us. Uh, let's continue to read in Isaiah. So verse 15. 
For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, or repentance, and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore you shall flee away, and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore your pursuers shall be swift, and a thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five uh, you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff at the top of a mountain or a signal on a hill, basically till you're alone. I'm running away from you, God. I'm running away from God's people. I'm running away. What we see here, what is being described here, is what's called escapism. I'm trying to escape. I recognize that there's a problem, and I don't want to deal with it. I want to get away from it. So I'm, I'm going to do whatever, that, whatever it takes to get away from it, to run away from that problem, to not face it. We also see that there's, we, can, we can derive from this too, this just like that paranoia that comes with it. What if I get caught? You know, what if, what if they find out? More so, we're almost, I've, often, and I've had this thought when, I, when, I've been, when I've been caught up in this too, is like, God hates me. God is just, he's waiting to take me out. He's gonna, at any moment, he's gonna come around that corner and just be like, here I am, guess what? Here comes a lightning bolt. You know, like, I think in all honesty though, it's like, that in our relationship with the Lord, we, we start thinking like that. Like God is the enemy. And now he's hunting me down. He's coming after me. So I, I have to get away. Like I, I, can't, I, can't, uh, I can't stay here anymore because nothing's safe. And when we get, or when you get really steeped in the sin, it, it, I mean, really, irrational fear now becomes part of your life. Not socializing, like literally, like good friends. I don't want to see them. I can't see them. I can't go there. I can't do this. I can't do anything now because if this comes up, who did I lie to? What was the lie? All these things now, like I have to keep track of all this stuff. It's too much. So I avoid. I get on my horse and I ride. I get out of there. So, so far, as we've looked at this text, we are seeing symptoms of the worship disorder. Rebellion, deceitfulness, not willing to listen to the instruction of the Lord, not wanting to be confronted, running away and trying to escape, paranoia. What if they find out? We're trying to hide now. I don't want anybody to see. I gotta gotta hide this sin. What's happening though, like I think when we say um, or mention the word idolatry, and, 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 it's, and it'll talk about this a little bit more in the text, often what we see is how, uh, the things that men will go and worship. But let's be clear what, what, what truly is happening is they're worshiping themselves. Uh, my old pastor at, at the church I was at before, he said this, he's like, sin is not all the stuff we do. 
That's, that's the byproduct of sin. What sin is, is it's an inward focus. It's when I stop looking out to God for my source of joy and hope, and when I go and I start looking at my heart, my own heart, which the word teaches is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So when that inward focus begins to happen and we start listening and trusting my gut, my heart, this is what my heart says, guess what's going to happen? Things are going to start being deceitful and desperately sick. So we see uh, these symptoms of a worship disorder, this idolatry, this seeking after lowercase gods, if you will, and demanding from them to give us what only God can give us, which is satisfaction. And is that not what we're looking for? That deep satisfaction that only he can give. It's this quote I came across as I was studying this, and it was interesting. I can't remember who said it, and I, don't, I think there's like a debate on who said it, but anyways... It's every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. And it resonates. Because we know that that's true. There is something that they're trying, that we are trying to get fulfilled, get satisfied, and it's not working. So... Maybe you found your, yourself, or maybe you're in this place of paranoia. You're wanting to escape. Um, but again, the question remains, like, how do we find freedom? How do we find freedom in this? Okay, so we know the symptoms. That's great. So I know I'm going there, but what, what's then, what's the medicine, if you will? What do I do? Where do I go? Um... Just a quick thing, I just, the beautiful thing about Jesus, let's think about this, about God, especially when you're in Christ, the beautiful thing about him is that uh, there's always good news. There's always good news in Jesus. He is always a greater than equation. I shared that before, where it's like, no matter what you are going through, uh, whether it is an habitual sin, it's sexual sin, or it's just a hardship, God is greater than. And so that's why we go. We go to the one who's greater than this circumstance or this sin, and we go to him to find our rest and our peace and our joy. Uh, Isaiah 18. To answer the question, where do we go? Or what do we do to find freedom? I think um, actually more so to answer the question, kind of like start, we're going to start seeing how God responds and what, and what God is doing in all of this. Uh, and, and this is a totally different picture than what we tend to paint of him. Verse 18, Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. The only thing, the only thing that can change a heart, 
is the grace of God. Now, when we hear that, we hear the grace of God, I think if we're being honest, a lot of times the thoughts that we've had maybe in the past we're having now is we view God's grace as something that is weak, that's meek, it's mild, it's, it's just kind of like, oh, that's really fluffy and nice. That's good. But I, I argue that the grace of God is one of the most powerful things we can ever encounter. Because think about the grace of God is the only thing that can change a heart. The grace of God is the only thing that can give hope to a man who's hopeless. The grace of God is the only thing that can change a man so that he is no longer a thief because his motivation and heart has changed because of the grace of God that he has shown to him. The grace of God is powerful. And it sustains a man and it fulfills the desires of his heart. And God longs to be gracious to us. Look at that again at verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself. He exalts himself to show you mercy. Why did, I've shared this before, and I was preaching in Genesis 18. I was like, why does God do things like this? Like, why would God allow you and I to go through a hardship or to suffer through a sin, such as sexual sin, for the duration that we do? Like, why does God work in those ways? Why does he allow those things? And the answer is this, and, and sometimes this answer is not the answer we want to hear, but this is the truth and what we see in Scripture. He does so to magnify and make much of his sovereign grace to highlight his power and control and to display his magnificence because that's what changes the heart. Sam shared this last Sunday where if you had never gone through that hardship, then most likely you would have never seen God in the way you do now. That you would have not approached him in the same way. You maybe would have taken him for granted or had never approached him. But because of the hardship you've gone through, now you have a new uh, view on God, a new reliance on him, maybe. So how does someone change his ways and become free? We see God is waiting to give us grace. And that he is a just God, he is a good God, and he wants to give his grace. Look at verse 19. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. You will surely be gracious. I'm sorry. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right, when you turn to the left. Did you see it? The the answer to the question, how do we find freedom? It's in crying out to God for help. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
What he's saying there is, blessed are those who mourn their sin, who understand the depravity that they are in. And in that, they cry out, God, I need you. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't get out of this. Grace, as it enters our life, it's like, it's like a light switch coming on. So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is where I am. I need to get out of this. I can't be here anymore. I always kind of joked around about this idea of like, I think it would just be hilarious. Like if you went to like a nightclub where there's like all the lights are low and it's, you know, everybody's like ah, yeah, dancing or whatever. And you just turn all the lights on. You know, and guys like, oh, it's like, oh, 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 ugh, this is weird. Because it's all in the light now. Everyone's sweaty and gross, and it's like, oh, this is actually the grossest thing. What are we doing? You know, like, let's just leave now. Like, when you think about that, like, that is that essentially, like, the lights are coming on, and we're having this moment of, like, oh, that's what I'm doing? That's where, I, where I'm at? I can see now where I need to go and what needs to go. So when God shows us his grace, it's, it, again, it's like that light coming on for us. And this is what then happens when the light comes on. Verse 22. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things and you will say to them, be gone. As Sam was sharing last night, you know, verse in 1 John, walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship with our brothers. We find forgiveness for our sins. What ends up happening is that changed heart that has been made new by God now doesn't want anything to do with those things because it's not of God. It's not what, what is in us. The Spirit of God is like, no, I don't, I don't want that anymore. And I will teach you, as the Word says, where to go and how to get there. God gives us instructors and teachers. And we, we need to be wise to listen to their instruction. But more than that, he gives us the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, who, who pursue him, the Spirit is in you. And what is the Spirit doing? It's teaching you how to walk in his ways. And that is how I know that a man of God can live free from sexual sin. Let's go to um, Ezekiel chapter 36. And in this chapter, uh, leading up to it again, we see that the Lord is concerned about uh, his holy name. Why? Because his people, let's be clear about who God's speaking to, us. He's speaking to his people. He's not speaking to people outside of that. He's speaking to his people, and he's concerned about his holy name because they are defaming it by giving into idol worship, by giving into sexual impurity. But listen to what the Lord says. Ezekiel prophesies this word. And he says, I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit. And I will put then I will put that within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully obey my rules. God not only shows us or tells us where to go, but then he gives us the ability to actually get there. In essence, we basically are piggybacking on our, on our dad. I mean, it's, it's, it's that dependent. He's doing that much work. So you're going, all right, I don't know if you guys have ever been on a hike with little kids, but you get to that point where it's like, okay, I either carry them or we just don't go anywhere. You know, and so it's like, I get on the back, you know, and you're just kind of like going. And man, sometimes, you know what's cool about being a dad? I'll just throw this out there. You get dad strength, dad speed, dad sight. Like all that kind of stuff comes. It's like a little added bonus. Mm -hmm. So like you can just go right up to the top of a mountain. Just like, I got a kid on my back. No big deal. Go on the top. Anyways, a little side note for those of you. You guys, they're dads. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you just catch things you would have never caught before. It's like a bullet. Bing, that's weird. Put it down. Anyways. But the dependency that my kid has on me when they get to that point. And in and, and the same way that they, they don't like dilly-dally around the fact that they need me to carry them. It's like, Dad, I need you. I can't walk anymore. There's no question about it. And they're not asking anything else. They're not looking to anything else to take them the rest of the way. Dad, I need you to do it. And that in the same way as God's children with the new heart that God has given us. Dad, I need you. I need you to carry me through this. And the beautiful thing what we've seen already is that he is waiting to give you his grace. He wants to. Okay, we, we, we look at him as that dragon waiting to come out from his sleep going, what did you do wrong? Fire and flame. It's like, no, 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 no. He's waiting to give you his grace. So we call out to him, God, I need you. Please, Lord, would you save me from this sin that I'm in? Would you show me the way to go? Would you uh, help me to walk in the light as you are in the light? That's where I want to be. God's like, all right, let's do this. Now, this is cool. I'm going to, I'm going to finish out. If you guys, I'm sorry, I got you all over the place, but back to Isaiah 30. Verse 23. These next couple of verses give us just a really cool picture of what happens when we're now on the other side of this? And he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plentiful. And in that day, your livestock will graze in large pastures and the oxen and the donkey that works the grounds will eat seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill, there will be brooks running with water. In the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall, moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days. In the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. 
the load is lifted. We get, we get, a, we get a picture of restoration here. Where now it's, it's, things have changed. Namely, in our heart change, the way we view our life, the way we view God, the way we view others. And I love that idea, like the moon is now like the sun, and the sun is sevenfold. It's just all of a sudden that light, that burden is so light, it's just like, man, this is, this is good. My life is good, and I have a good God who, when I needed it, gave me his grace every time, every time I needed it. So I encourage you guys to remember the symptoms, the rebellion, the deceitfulness, not willing to hear instruction, not wanting to be confronted, trying to escape, being paranoid, all these things. As you start feeling those things, you start sensing those things, you start seeing those things play out in your life, light bulb, I might be having a a worship disorder here. I might be misplacing my worship into something that's cheap and not God. And as we back up and we kind of start seeing, okay, what does the word say about God? I, I know what it says about where I'm at right now. What does it say about God? That God is graciously waiting that he wants to show me his love and he will teach me how to get out of it. He will show me where to go and how to walk in his ways. That's the God that we love and trust and serve. One that has not left and abandoned us, but one that is alive and is still teaching us through his word. So I encourage you guys to know God's word. To more than that, love God's word. Because this is where the Holy Spirit works and teaches and speaks to us. And in and through that, our hearts become changed and we become more and more like God in that we want to love and we want to stay out of the darkness and live in the light. And here's the, here's the cool thing about this is, is when we start living in the light and that becomes more consistent for us, it's easier to recognize the darkness. It's easier to go, like, becoming so familiar with God's word and who he is, it becomes easier to recognize that's darkness. It's not a confusion anymore. It's like, okay, I don't want to go there. And when I do get there, I go, you know what? I'm here. I recognize what this is. I need God. I need to get, I need to get out of that. And it does truly become easier. The more we spend time with the Lord, the more we spend time in his light, it does become easier to go, I'm, okay, I need to be back here in the light. Because we're spending more time in that light, becoming more familiar with it. I hope that was an encouragement for you guys. I hope that as you uh, move forward, uh, just in your walk with the Lord, whether that be a sexual sin or any sin really of that matter, that you would approach it in this way. And remember the God of grace, who is your God. Let's pray together.